0: Got me all right, Jack. All right. Last chapter of the Book of Acts, twenty-eighth. Start into the sixteenth verse, and if you'll bear with me, hold your attention, read along with me. I want to read to the end of the chapter. Be dealing with about the thirtieth verse, but all of it is so good. It seems a shame to even lead any of the chapter out, but. We want to read to you concerning Paul's arrival at Rome. 16th verse, 28th chapter, Acts of the Apostles. Praise the Lord. Everybody got it? And when we came to Rome, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together. When they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came shewed or spoke any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading that persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening, And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed, after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Esaias the prophet unto our fathers, saying, saying, Go ye, or go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax-gross, And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and should be converted, I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, had great reasoning among themselves. Paul dwelt two years in his own hard house, and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. I'd like to ask Brother Bud, if he would, to stand and ask the blessing on the reading of God's word, the unction and the anointing upon our hearts and minds tonight. Praise the Lord. If I had a title, I'll have to give Brother Jack one. Prisoners in our own houses. All right? Not that that's going to mean too much, but at least he'll know what's going on. I want to read the 30th verse and it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came unto him. Let's read the other one. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence no man forbidding him. Now, the Apostle Paul had preached the gospel in such great cities as Corinth and Philippi and Colossus and Ephesus and Galatia and Thessalonica and on and on you could go. He had covered all the great cities, some lying on the seashore, and many of them just great cities where many different cultures met. The Apostle Paul, wanting to spread the gospel to best his ability, always sought out the cities where different cultures and people were and there He set up stock, so to speak, and he ministered. But while he was doing all of this, when he was ministering in all of these cities, his heart's desire, you'll catch that in the book of Acts and all of his other writings, his heart's desire was to be able to go to the very seat of the great empire that was ruling that day, Rome. Talked about it sometime from beginning to end. And finally, at the end of this chapter we find the Apostle Paul at his destination. I think probably if the Apostle Paul was human, I imagine he thought of all the things that he could do when he got to Rome. I imagine he maybe built a few air castles like a lot of us. And when God allows me to go to Rome, and he looked back at all the stirs he had created in all the other cities and how he had left churches and builded them there, I'm sure he thought, if God allows me to go there, what a great stir I'll be able to make in Rome, and what an influence I will be able to have all oh, for the day when I'll be able to go to Rome. And finally, the Apostle Paul has reached his destination. Now, contrary to his thinking, he didn't get there the way he wanted to go. I think I ought to stop long enough to say that a lot of times... When we pray and ask God and feel fully assured that we have a destination, some place where we're going to end up at, some place where we've felt like all of our lives that we ought to be, maybe just not a town or a city but a place in God, oftentimes we'll not arrive there the way we want to arrive there. And many times that is reason for despondency and discouragement. Because we had ideas of great grandeur, probably, and splendor, or the uh, way things should be worked out, and what should happen. And then finally, we are there. And we're not there the way we thought we would, ought, should be there. And certainly, we don't seem to have the freedom and be able to have access and do the things that we thought all the time. If we ever got a privilege to be there or, or to come to that place. We ever got that privilege what things we would be able to do. But at last, here the Apostle Paul is an ambassador to Rome, but in bonds, in Nero's palace, where he always wanted to be, Caesar's palace, but he was a prisoner. Now, the Bible and history tells us of some great things that was accomplished by Paul there before his death. I don't want tonight to minimize what the Apostle Paul was able to accomplish. Because he did accomplish great things. He witnessed all those that came unhindered. They allowed him to have his own house, lease it or rent it, but he was under guard at all times. He wasn't allowed to leave. People were allowed to come to him, but he wasn't allowed to leave. He preached the kingdom of God to those that came and no man hindered, and with all confidence he expounded the kingdom of God. He witnessed to those that came to him. He witnessed to the soldiers of the guard. Of course, this is old to most of us. They had to change the guards ever so often on the Apostle Paul because he was converting them by this wonderful gospel. And it was there that he wrote a lot of the epistles. Not a man ever to be idle, the Apostle Paul utilized his time. Though no doubt he was despondent in a sense, no doubt perhaps he was discouraged. And if any man had a right to be fully discouraged and throw up his hands, and say, well, this certainly wasn't what I had in mind the Apostle called in. But true to what he always was, a soldier to the very last, he utilized what time he had, the position he was in. He fully utilized that, and nothing hindered him from doing what he could in the position he was in. I think probably that would be a good lesson to every one of us tonight. A lot of times we don't have the freedom that we think we ought to have. Sometimes the ways of God seem so strange that if we're not careful, we'll sit idly by instead of utilizing every precious moment even with the position we're in and let God honor that. The Apostle Paul's pen was going what time his mouth wasn't because he was fully committed to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had determined that nothing would stand in his way of spreading the gospel and telling the world about a Christ of Calvary that met him that day on the road to Damascus. And he never forgot that vision, and he worked feverishly and urgently for the gospel of the kingdom, and that he spread it, not satisfied to remain mute and quiet, not satisfied to bemoan his condition, not satisfied to give his query or his enemy uh, in anything whatsoever, but stood always realizing one thing. He was an ambassador, bound, yes, no freedom like he ought to have, yes, but nevertheless, still an ambassador, still with a message burning in our heart and within our soul, still with a gospel message, realizing that it had to go forth. Now, the effect of his ministry in spite of all of this, the fact remains, and I think we overlook it, and this is going to bring me to what I want to get at tonight, the fact remains that in spite of everything that the Apostle Paul was able to accomplish, he was still a prisoner, he was still in bondage, and he still was in captivity. As I said and read that, there's something spoke to me and said, Think of the effect that that great man with his great message would have had upon the city of Rome had he not been a prisoner. I want you to turn that over in your mind a little bit because we're going someplace with this. I'm thinking, as I read that, of the limitations placed upon us and our ministry as individuals because we remain, as it were, not naturally, but spiritually, many times, we remain prisoners in our own house. Amen. The Apostle Paul seemed to have no choice whatsoever. Our lives sometimes parallels with him. But I reached in there and grabbed that and pulled it out because right here is where the parallel ends. The Apostle Paul had no choice in the matter But oft times you and I do. Almost all the time you and I do. We are oft times prisoners locked up in our own house. Prisoners of doubt and fear. I've outlined several ways that the devil has managed to slip in cunningly and slyly and place handcuffs on us and tie us up and put our feet in fetters and our wrists in handcuffs and limit our ability to reach a world that's lost and dying and undone. There is a house of fear and of doubt. I think perhaps that might be more prevalent in this day and hour than ever before. I say this simply because I have been a minister for some 25 years not a novice in it at all, and have noted in my life as well as others, that there seems to be doubts about many things creeping into my life that never were there before. Amen. Amen. Things that I'd always took for granted, that what God had said would happen, that there is an enemy. There is an enemy of our soul that seeks to come in And flesh will doubt. Yes, it will. And flesh sometimes will doubt so much that it brings us and lays us low. And our effect, what effect we might have, is limited because we are a prisoner in a house of doubt. Doubting sometimes if God ever spoke to us. Amen? Amen. Doubting sometimes if God's word that was spoken through tongues, interpretation and prophecy under the inspiration of God. And our soul moved out and caught, uh, uh, what would you say, caught with it. And we knew without a shadow of a doubt as we stood there and it was God. There was no doubt about it. And then time goes on and Satan slips in. And there we stand, the prisoners we mulled over in our mind. Was it really so? It hasn't happened. Was it really so? This could be good and this could be bad. Most of the time, it is bad. Many of us have had God's judgment called upon us. God has spoken and told us if we continue to in the same old ways, that judgment would be ours. Well, somewhere or somehow, when we were there under the influence of it, we knew without a shadow of a doubt he was speaking to us. But then we got out. Satan came in and took our house, took us prisoner in that house. And it didn't happen yesterday. And it didn't happen today. And it's been a month now. And it hasn't happened two months. And it hasn't happened three months, six months, maybe a year. And it hasn't happened. And Satan says, it it never will. You see, we're taken captive by that enemy that came in, prisoner in our own house. I'd mark this and mark it well. God never says anything without full intents of bringing it to pass unless we change it in our life and our way of living. Because if God has spoken it, it is true without a shadow of a doubt. And there's other times that God has ministered to us and told us what was going to happen in our life, what he expected out of us, and what we were going to accomplish, and we stood there, identifying with the spirit as it spoke, and knew full well it was the spirit. Only to find ourselves a few months later in confusion, in darkness, not knowing where to, where we stood, and doubting sometimes if the prophecy, tongues, and interpretation was ever even actually so. Are for us prisoners in our own house, dwelling there, captivated, a prisoner. And what we need to realize is how limited we are. i said say it again, how limited we are as we dwell there, unable to move out from under that whatsoever. James 1.6 says, For he that wavereth, I think this goes for every one of us. You wonder sometimes why you haven't accomplished we wonder sometimes why these things are not in our lives that God said would. And I think James tells us at some place down the road there was some wavering in our lives. Although wavering does not cancel it, it certainly postpones it until our lives can be back on an even keel and trust can be there and replace doubt that is there. James said, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with a wind and toss. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. That's harsh words. But nevertheless, words spoken to Christians. Words that have been true for 2,000 years. Words that are still true today. Let that man that wavers, don't let him think he'll receive anything from the Lord. You see, as long as there's wavering, what God has said will not be there. As long as we allow the devil to keep us prisoner in our own house. I think we need to cry with Paul. I want you to hear it as he cries it out. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I wonder how many of us have the ability to do that. He also said, I have learned that whatever state I am in, there to be content. Solid on God's Word unshakable in God's truth, knowing full well what God had said that he was able to bring to pass. James also comes up cross and tells us that if we endure temptations, throw the doubt out of our house, we'll receive a crown of life. Then there's a house of fear. Fear what people's going to say. Or fear of what people is going to think. I want to be honest with you, as honest as I can be. Because I feel like sometimes I can identify with almost all of us. I realize we're talking spiritually here and we'll get into that. But back when the Jim Jones thing broke out and the cult thing came, our church here was targeted. Everybody was on our case. If there was a Jim Jones cult, we was one. And if there ever was a Jim Jones, brother host, was a Jim Jones. And that hasn't silenced uh, hardly at all. And the first inclination that I had is just stay in your house. Don't go out. Don't go out because you know what they're going to say behind your back. And I have heard it behind my back. And there goes the cult leader. There goes the Jim Jones of Clare. And who in their right mind would like to go out into the public and face this thing? And then that's when this, I believe, this message, the thought anyway was born. The presence of God came down on my life. And he said, you've allowed the devil to make you prisoner in your own house. And I said, God forbid, I'll face the world with the power of the Holy Ghost. For I have nothing to hide and nothing to be ashamed of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Paul says in Romans, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see, I think he's trying to deal with us on this level. That when you came to Christ and he forgave you of your sins, all fear vanished. I think most of us would agree with this. And when we first came to him, we felt so like that we wasn't afraid of anything because Big Brother, our, our father, was going to take care of everything. And then all at once, for some unknown reason, who can explain it, fear began to take hold again. Paul said, You have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear will wrap itself around us and bind us and hold us in the house of fear. Prisoners. Some of the greatest minds in the world is held captive by fear. Some of the greatest ministers in the world is held captive and on their seat by fear of breaking out on God's Word. Prisoners in our own house. Activities limited. And there is unlimited space for a move of God in our lives. Saint and sinner alike need to look at that and realize that we have received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is good, I think, sometimes for us to look back on that day that we cease to be a sinner saved by grace and become a son or a child of the Most High God and realize we could nestle in His arms and He'll take care of everything for us. The battle He has fought and shake ourselves from this. Paul says in Hebrews, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now that's quite a statement. The Apostle Paul certainly was not wrapped up and held captive in his house by fear. Of course, he said, the Lord is my helper. There's a lot of us need to listen to what Paul says tonight, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And then there's a house, a prisoner in the house of shame. Although knowing God, and knowing that he has called us and anointed us, place the seal of approval upon us for a specific purpose, whatever it might be. All of us are called into different areas, are good at some things, not so good in others. But knowing that we'll be called upon to do things that the world doesn't understand, and knowing full well that the world, which is not spiritual, cannot identify with what is spiritual, knowing full well that we will look like fools to them, Sometimes we run into the house, and their shame takes us prisoner. And there we sit, with our activities limited, with our voice muted and quiet, and with our footsteps stopped and staunched, and with our hands unreaching, simply because shame has reached in and wrapped its arms around us. And we do not wish to be identified with anything that goes against the status quo on this world. Help prisoner by that makes us look like fools. Again, this man that was limited at the end of the chapter of Acts says one time, if I'm a fool, then I am a fool for Christ's sake. God would like to hear the hue and cry of the church and I'm sure God would. That says, all right, if I'm a fool, I'll be a fool and I'll be a fool for Christ's sake. What I do is because I'm Jesus. What I do is because I want to be identified with the Master, the one that died for me and received and gave to me the power of the Holy Ghost. If I'm going to be a fool, I want to be His fool. Because there's one sure thing about it. We're a fool whichever way we go. And I'd rather be a fool for Christ's sake. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God under salvation. And then in Corinthians, he adds a note that commanded my attention. A man that had underwent more things in just a few years, and most, sure, most of the whole church has in the decades of its existence. Said these words were troubled on every side. Almost all of us can identify with that. Amen. Can you lift your hands if you've been troubled on every side? Hallelujah. Apostle Paul said, every place I go, I find trouble. I find trouble among the Jews. I find trouble in the churches I established. I find trouble among the Gentiles. I find trouble in the synagogue. I find trouble on the streets. In other words, I find somebody somewhere always plaguing me and dogging my track and wanting to destroy me. I'm troubled on every side, and yet I am not distressed. Paul says, I refuse to be a prisoner of distress. Great words, but words that should not sound upon ears and a dull of hearing words that words should also land upon the ears of every one of us tonight as we're troubled from every side and from every angle that Paul says look up to Jesus I'm not distressed I know he has everything in charge of everything I know he has has solidity we're perplexed in other words Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to do. Sometimes God leads me to a place and it's a dead end and he leaves me there. Anybody ever been led that far? Come on. He just, oh, he just leads you just fine. You go skipping on the hills, skipping like rams. The leadership of God is great. How he honors you and how he blesses you and he leads you to a certain place and then he just leaves you there the apostle paul endured all these situations but he refused to dwell as a prisoner in the house of confusion in other words he refused to be confused about the matter he says i'm perplexed i don't know what's going to happen next but I am not in despair, for I know my God has everything under control. Whether that's a faith that God wants us to get mired down in and make us steadfast. And then he says, I am persecuted. <laughs> our little old persecutions, our little old slaps and bangs, don't amount to a hill of being. To what this man who was human as you are house of persecution and he said I'm persecuted but I don't intend to be a prisoner of that hey man you know what he's trying to say he's trying to say that we can get persecuted and set down in our self-pity because of these persecutions and let that very thing which should make us more solid and more determined to go for God, we can let that suckle us and hold us prisoner in our own house. But Paul says, I'm persecuted. I'm not going to deny that. You know, if we're not careful, we'd like to make this way seem like a bed of roses. And we just skip along like rams and uh, there's, there's nothing there. But Paul never made it like that. He said, I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. Hallelujah. Let's say that. I'm not forsaken. Let's say it, all of us. I am not forsaken. I am persecuted. I was I will be, I am now persecuted. But my God said one time, I will never leave you nor forsake you I go with you all the way even unto the end of this earth. Hallelujah. In other words, he's saying, there'll never be a time when I'll be there. In your persecutions, I may not lift them. But if you just feel around, you will find me there. I haven't gone any place. I'll be there you need me hallelujah cast down <laughs> belittled talked about encountered with evil set us not and some of his own churches at the time he wrote this had he established under his hypothesis had any man could have having left extraordinary Miracles and healing and proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was an apostle born out of due time. He stood and said, He can't be. Paul said, I am cast down. I am low. Oh yes, so low sometimes. And I can't hardly get up. Yes, I am down. The Apostle Paul admitted it. He's saying I haven't always rode the mountains. I haven't always been up there where there's been at my beck and call uh, the mysteries of the kingdom and the miracles and the power. Oh no, he's saying, there's been times when I felt like everybody and God himself maybe had left me. And he's saying, I am cast down but I am not destroyed. Hallelujah. No man can destroy us but ourselves. Hallelujah. But we can dwell in that house, a prisoner of that cast down feeling and sit there again as we're all prone to do. Say nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Nobody understands. Oh, misery on miseries. Woe is me. And Paul said, yes, I have my ups and I have my downs. I have my ends and I have my outs. I have my victories and I have my defeats. And I want you to know one thing. There is no power on this earth that can destroy me. For I have within me life and that eternal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But, he says, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why do you do this, Paul? Why do you bear these things in your own flesh? that the life also of Christ or of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He was saying, Jesus wasn't too good to undergo this, and the servant cannot be greater than his master. I'll bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus that he might be made manifest in my body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A prisoner, Held captive in a house of bitterness, envy, malice, and strife. Sad, but so many Christians dwelling there. Hebrews 12, about 12th chapter says, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And as you do that, he says, looking diligently. In other words, there is a time to watch. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about has a rowing lion seeking whom he may devour. Watch for him, saints. Watch for him. He comes in ready to take you captive at his will if he can at all. Watch for that. Looking diligently. Be diligent about it. Lest any man should fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby many are defiled I suppose it would be bad enough now from bitterness no from envy and malice and jealousy comes bitterness it always does and from bitterness breeds envy and malice and strife all of these correlate together and it would be bad enough if one individual caught up in the root of bitterness, would he himself only be destroyed? That's sad to say, that is not the case. For we are not an island in ourselves, and we live not by ourselves alone. Our lives influence somebody somewhere, and God Almighty, knowing that, said, Be careful and watch diligently, lest you become a prisoner of this bitterness in your own house. It takes you captive. And when it does, many, will be defiled and you know that's the truth as well as I do no man has ever lived in bitterness and let it well up within himself our woman without he tried to find somebody to share this with and then they in turn tried to find somebody else because misery loves company and the first thing you know this seed has defiled many Ephesians says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be a kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I think there's a classic example of what to do about bitterness when Israel came. When they were thirsty to the bitter waters of Moriah. Ah, they were thirsty and they needed something. They tasted of those waters and they were bitter. And Moses said, get a tree and throw it in there. And this will take care of the bitterness. Symbolic of Christ himself. There's but one thing. And it will take away the bitterness and envy and malice and strife that thrives and grows. And that is not your preacher. And that is not the saint that dwells next to you. And that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blood that was shed that day And cleanseth us from all sin and iniquity. But many people are living prisoner in their own house of bitterness and envy. And this limits by influence. And it limits our labor of love. And it limits our whole being. And it limits the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think perhaps this evening I might hit home. When I say that the majority of us have at one time, and maybe are now, held prisoner in our house of imagination and thought. Something just looks just a certain way. Or somebody speaks in a certain way or don't speak at all. Old imagination begins to run wild. Old Satan comes in and throws the handcuffs on these hands. And puts feathers on these feet. These teeth. And there's just one thing that he don't stop. And that's the mouth and the tongue. And he gets you to imagine it. So-and-so's trying to get at you. So-and-so don't like you. So-and-so said something. I can, I've had them say, I can tell by the way they look. Well, you poor simple thing. How do you know what they look? What's on the inside? My God, who knows what has happened to that individual during the day? How can you tell from the outward appearance? But the devil's there. Got you all bound up. And here you are a prisoner of your imagination and your own thoughts. And most of the time when the truth comes out, it's never anything like what helped you captive at all. Corinthians says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now most of us know that the strongholds of Satan is not necessarily the afflictions that he placed Upon this physical body. But the stronghold of Satan. Is right here in this mind. The seat of our affections. And when he can capture our mind. He has made a prisoner of our bodies and of us. And he has our minds a lot anymore. But he says now the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now look, sakes. God is telling you that there is going to be imagination, a human mind is that away. And you're going to have thoughts that are not right and come in and they're wrong. A human mind is that away. The innate characteristics of the Adamic nature dictate this. And he also says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but they're mighty through God to the tearing down of these stone holes. In other words, shake the shackles from you and refuse to be a prisoner in the house of imaginations and of thoughts. The Bible says, casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. I shudder sometimes to think, other I suppose with gladness to think to what heights of glory that God's church know, has to make it more personal that this church can reach if some way we can get a hold of the mighty weapons of God and utilize them and cast that imagination down the minute it enters in and let the Holy Spirit take captive that evil thought instead of allowing it to dominate us and captivate us and hold us prisoner by our own thinking. Hallelujah. Prisoners in the house of fleshly lust and worldly pleasure. Give us meat and drink. of Bowl said give us fun and games. We exist only for fun and games. Sad to say. And a lot of people in this life should be motivated Christians live only for the time have taken a piece flesh and give it what it wants at the expense of God and God's house and the Spirit. Held captive by your fleshly lust and worldly pleasures. Galatians says, but now after that you have known God or rather are known of God how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereto you desire again to be in bondage? Paul was saying, I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't understand after you have turned from those uh, beggarly elements, weak things and inherited the strong and kingly character of Almighty God, why you would want those things in your life anymore. There is not an individual among us, and I challenge you, that what when we come to Jesus and felt the heavy weight of sin and the load of sin come off from us, no greater satisfaction was ever accomplished in our life. And when we felt the burdens of our heart roll away, of course the world had been unkind to us, Our world had hated us. Our world had refused us. It had laid us low and nigh on to death. And we came to Jesus. And he poured in the oil and the wine and bound up our wounds. And set us upon his own beast of burden. And carried us then and left us there. And the joys we received was not hallucinations. And they were a reality. And then all at once, Paul says. You want to go back to that? (laughs) You want that again and yes? That's right. Knowing full well all the time, all it holds for them, they'll turn again, run into the house and be placed in bondage in their own house. Paul goes on to say, stand fast in the liberty." Wherein Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now this is what Peter says is going to happen to your beggarly elements That you seem to desire more than you desire God. Peter describing something happened in the last days. Says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night and the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements. In other words, fleshly lust and pleasure shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is not one thing that this place accomplished and what is going to be burned up and what's done for Christ is an eternity. Build your house not out of haywood and stubble but build it out of silver and gold and unperishable things that God Almighty will reserve in the day of fire and vengeance. Hallelujah, I don't understand how some of you can sit there and look at me like I'm dumb. My soul cries out, and it's burdened down with these things. I think last but not least, prisoners in our own house of discouragement. I want to bring you to a classic example of discouragement. It's thousands of years old, but it's still a usable implement in the hands of the devil. Deuteronomy talks about the children of Israel in doing for 11 days. They made their journey, 11 days journey, out from Egypt to the promised land. And God had brought them out with a high hand, taken care of all their needs, brought them out, parted the Red Sea, drowned their enemies, gave them manna in the wilderness, whatever they needed, water from the rock, miracle after miracle, and told them when they left that it's time to go to the promised land. That should have been enough. If God says it's theirs, it's theirs. And that ought to be enough for us. If God says it's ours, it ought to be ours. And we wait for Him to make the path and open the door and spread roses there and put velvet plush carpeting around for us and good easy setting place and then say, Lord, when you get it all ready, I'll come. Amen, brother host Paul. And we sit and wait on God. And all the time the word has sounded out, it's yours, go and possess it. Yes. And anyway, they sent out spies. And they came back, heard from ten of them and two of them. And of course the two was outnumbered. And here's what they said. When shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. Saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And if that's not enough. What our brothers come back and said is so. Moreover we have seen the sons of the Anachoms there ourselves. There's nobody that can discourage you any quicker. With a negative attitude than your brothers and sisters. Amen. You know that as well as I do. And if some stranger had to come and told the children of Israel that they wasn't able to make it, they wouldn't have paid any attention to them. And their brothers come back. And the majority of them said, you can't do it. And they said, the cities are tall and the men are giants. And we're not just taking their word for it. We saw those individuals ourselves. And we looked like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, We can't take the land. And it was all boiled down to this. God wasted no time with them. He wasted no time pleading with them because prior to this, He had already said all that was necessary when He said, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the the God of your fathers has said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. That had already been spoken. So, when we sit with our own brothers and sisters, are we become discouraged because they don't live our life like we think they ought to. Amen. Or they don't just keep in time like we think they ought to keep in time. We get discouraged with them because they're as human as we are, maybe more. We think they ought to be divine. We have great things set out for them and a good narrow path for them to walk while all the time we want to walk in the wide one. Got certain things that we feel like that they ought to be before they're qualified to be what they say they are. And we get discouraged at them. And many times they don't understand your life. They don't understand what God is saying to you. They don't understand the calling you've got on your life. They don't understand that because it is not theirs. And what God is trying to say is, look, it is not dependent upon what they say. It's dependent upon what I say. And when I say it, and grasp hold of that, will you, and hold to it. And I like that because he said, you don't be afraid and neither be discouraged. And that's the 21st verse. How Deuteronomy, the first chapter, and turn right around in the 28th verse, and they say, our brothers have discouraged. Held captive in a house of discouragement. Captive there. Held prisoner. Luke says, trying to bring this to a close, and when these things begin to come to pass, Everything that is happening in the world today. Everything that is invading the rank and confines of the church today. Every evil thing Satan is trying to do through mental torment and physical. Luke says, when you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption, God. He didn't say, get the pooch mouth. It didn't say get a long face. It didn't say sit and look so discouraged and heartless that nobody would know whether there's an ounce of Christianity or spirit in you or not. It said when you see these signs, when you see the world that is rocking and rolling like a drunk man, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. And diverse places. And when you see the church under attack and the powers of the enemy, such as never was before in the history of time, it says, then's the time to lift up your head for your redemption. It's almost ready to appear from the heavens. Lift up your head for your redemption doth nigh. In other words, he's saying, hey, look, you don't have time. You don't have time. Are these are." Just a few of the many houses that hold us prisoner, and limit our effectiveness, and destroy our influence—the cause of many souls being untouched or unleashed from the gospel. While we wither in our despair, while we sit dormant in our miseries and self-pity, while we sit bound in our own houses, become a prisoner there. A world that we fail to intercede for because the devil says, What good is your prayer? So we just don't pray. What good is coming to the house of God? So we just don't come. What good is your testimony? So we don't just testify. What good is it to live your life? So we just just haphazardly throw it down. While all of these are happening and the devil holds us prisoner in our own house, souls are dying that need your prayer. And your intercession and your words. And Satan locks you in your house. And there you sit, a prisoner, in your own hired house. That's just few. I pray and thought God that maybe this would be enough to challenge our hearts. Make us aware that we belong to the one that came, according to Saint Luke and Isaiah. He came to heal the broken heart. Came to preach deliverance to the captives. Didn't mean for us to be bound. Came to recover the sight of the blind. Came to set at liberty those that are bruised. Came to open the prison to them that are bound. Let's let him do that tonight. Let's let him do that right now as we stand. Hallelujah.